Welcome to If I Were You, the Bona Law podcast and blog series about antitrust. And in five bullets or less, how in-house lawyers can explain salient antitrust risks to their business teams. I'm Molly Donovan, counsel at Bona Law and host of this podcast. My very special guest today is Steve Cernak. Steve served as in-house antitrust attorney at General Motors for more than 20 years. In that role, Steve was responsible for global antitrust compliance, merger reviews, and litigation. Now, Steve represents clients in a wide array of competition and consumer protection matters, including compliance programs, joint efforts with competitors, pricing strategies and programs, and merger reviews and filings. Steve, I really appreciate you being here today. And, Great. And with that introduction, I realize that you're an excellent guest for this podcast because of your time in-house at GM. You must have explained complex risks to business people all the time. So given that, I'm wondering if you could give us just one sort of, you know, generic, non-subject matter specific tip based on your experience for communicating effectively with business people. Sure. Happy to do that. I would say remember that requests for advice are not chances for you to show how smart you are. Yes, you love your job and you know you can assume your client loves hers. So just tell her what she needs to know to do her job and let her get back to it. I mean, some questions can be answered simply. And if so, do that. Um, some will take more time. Even then, prepare an elevator speech version of the advice or what other information you need. The last thing is remember, you're there to support the business. Nobody ever bought a GM car because of its great legal staff. <laughs> That's good advice. Thank you. All right. So with that, let's get to our five bullets. Today's topic is minimum advertised prices. And we chose that topic because Steve knows a lot about it and because it's something we get a lot of questions about from clients. Um, in essence, a minimized advertised price, or I'll call it MAP for short, a MAP program traditionally is an agreement between two companies at different levels of the chain, for example, a manufacturer on one level and retailer on another, to set a, minimize, a minimum advertised price. So in-house lawyers, if I were you, I'd be prepared to explain the following five things about MAP programs to your business teams. Bullet one, any agreement with a business counterparty to set a MAP is risky. That's true even if you are careful to set only the minimum advertised price and not the minimum sales price. Steve, can you explain a little bit why that's the case? Sure. Even if you're very careful to leave discretion to the retailer to set the sales price, once you have an agreement with the counterparty as to minimum advertised price, it's easier for someone to argue that the agreement, even though articulated in terms of MAP, really operates in practice as a resale price maintenance agreement. And some states still treat agreements to set a resale price as per se illegal. And resale price agreements could subject a company to scrutiny under federal law as well. Now, there are ways to counter those arguments by careful structuring, implementation of a MAP agreement, but generally speaking, I'd say a unilateral policy is gonna be safer. And here's what I mean by unilateral. So the policy gets announced and it applies across the board to all counterparties similarly situated, all of whom are free to set their own advertised prices but if they go below the suggested map, well, there are repercussions. So 
there's no agreement with any counterparty that they will, in fact, adhere to a minimum advertised price. Okay, and that, that's a perfect bullet too, which is once you have a unilateral map policy in place, do not discuss or negotiate the terms or implementation of your MAP program with your business counterparties. Steve, why should you not do that? Well, once you start having one-on-one discussions with counterparties, will that have the potential to result in variations in the terms or how the MAP program is applied on a company-by-company basis? And it starts to look less unilateral and more like a bilateral agreement. You know, so counterparty A gets a pass and counterparty B doesn't. Mm-hmm. That makes it easier to argue that in practice, what you really have are a series of individual agreements that differ company by company, which brings you right back under bullet one. And such conversations might also start to look like an agreement between counterparty A and counterparty B, who probably should be competing and all facilitated by your company. So I'm wondering then, as a practical matter, if I'm in-house counsel, what do I tell my business team to do if a counterparty calls them up on the phone and says, hey, I want to discuss the MAP program and how you've applied it to me? All right. So that conversation should be put on hold. They should get you involved so that the discussions don't go out of bounds. But better yet, to head off at least some of those situations, the MAP policy could specify that only one person, say the MAP administrator, can make decisions on MAP issues. So only call or contact that person. And, you know, that can help to get some of the guys and gals out in the field off the hook. I think that's a great idea. All right. Bullet three. Sanctions for violations of the MAP program should be applied and applied consistently. Steve, why is that important to think about on the front end when you're first developing the program? So if you're going to have a sanction, you have to be prepared to implement it and implement it with respect to everyone. So are you really going to pull business, for example, for a MAP program violation? And a MAP program has to be consistent with the rest of your company's go-to-market strategy. I mean, you can't stuff the channel with product, incentivize your regional sales folks for increased sales, and then be surprised that some of your retailers want to advertise low, 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 low prices. All right. Also, in my view, a sanction that doesn't require back and forth discussion with your counterparty is going to be safest. So some people would suggest taking advertising dollars away in response to map violations. And I can see why that can be a good suggestion. But, you know, as a practical matter, when dollars get pulled, people pick up the phone and want to talk about it. People then tend to start negotiating. And again, you're back under bullet one. So one way to head off those conversations is to have sanctions laid out in the MAP policy. You know, maybe a series of escalating penalties for each violation, you know, sort of a three strikes and you're out rule. Are there other alternatives? Sure. But this is a chance to get creative with your lawyer and, you know, the business people to develop these effective sanctions that the company is comfortable implementing, remember, across the board and can get implemented on a somewhat automated basis. All right. Good advice. Bullet five. Do not talk about the terms or implementation of your MAP program with a competitor, including at a trade association event. Steve, why not? I mean, couldn't this be somewhat innocuous? You know, for example, here's what our MAP program looks like in essence. Is that similar to what you guys are doing? 
what's wrong with that sort of discussion? Well, I mean, I understand the temptation to you know do a little benchmarking, um, but if you have a conversation like that, I mean, now you're going down the road towards a Sherman Act Section 1 horizontal agreement to set the terms of competition. And the DOJ might say there's an agreement, even if nobody says, I agree, or okay, we're going to do the same thing. The agreement can be a lot more subtle than that and still raise scrutiny. So your people need to understand that if a competitor wants to talk about a MAP program, they need to get you as in-house counsel involved. Excellent. So those were our five bullets for MAP policies. Let's just caveat that determining the propriety of any particular MAP program and how to implement it is best done with an understanding of the particular factual context at issue. There's no template that's going to work for everyone in every situation. But the above five bullets are the meat and potatoes of MAP policies that we think will help your business team spot some of the major flags. Again, I'm Molly here today with Steve Cernak. Steve, thanks again. To find us, go to bonalod.com.